0: This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. President Biden's plan to forgive millions of dollars in student loan debt is being criticized by many conservatives, but hailed by many people who are drowning in loan repayments. But for African-American borrowers, does this plan do enough?
1: What we see with black borrowers is that they tend to have higher average loans than comparable white borrowers, and that number has creeped up over time
0: student debt forgiveness and the african-american community coming up on a word with me jason johnson stay with us
2: this episode is brought to you by shopify (coughs) do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. President Biden took a step toward fulfilling a key campaign promise last week when he announced a plan to relieve millions of dollars in student debt. The policy would wipe out ten dollars to $20,000 in loans for most borrowers. For many African Americans, the expectation that taking student loans will fund a step up on the socioeconomic ladder is often undercut with the reality that student loan debt can widen the racial wealth gap instead of closing it. Joining us to talk more about that is Finaba Addo. She's an associate professor of public policy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's also the co-author of A Dream Defaulted, the Student Loan Crisis Among Black Borrowers. Fenaba Otto, welcome to A Word.
1: Hello. Hello. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's talk about President Biden's student loan relief plan. On a scale of like 1 to 10, just generically, how good is this plan for African Americans with student loan debt?
1: I would give it a six or a seven. One is because of the provision around uh, the Pell Grants. So we know that they're discharging around $20,000 for anybody who um, received a Pell Grant when they were in undergrad or when they were in school. And so we know that African-Americans are disproportionately recipients of Pell Grants, which is a grant for low-income students. So that is how that's why it gets higher marks than um, those of us who were hoping for a complete debt cancellation or at least 50,000, which would have been a way to really target African-American households who tend to have disproportionately higher debt balances.
0: What exactly is a Pell Grant? What does it take to get a Pell Grant? And how does that differ from just going to any local bank or going to a private charity and asking for a loan?
1: At a very basic level, when you apply to college, uh, you fill out a FAFSA form, which is uh, the form, the Federal Student Aid form, which asks you for your household's like balance sheet, right? Well, that's that's kind of like the colloquial term for what is going on with the financials with your family or whoever supports or you're dependent on. And that information they use in order to calculate your family's contribution. And so that essentially is going to be how much you are expected to put up towards your own education. If you fall below a certain income threshold, that that amount that you contribute is lowered and can be lowered down to essentially zero. And that's highly dependent on the income that people's families have. Uh, African-American households tend to uh, be at the lower ends of income and wealth distribution. And that makes you eligible for Pell Grants, which says that you do. Uh, the the amount that you contribute is actually going to be in the form of a grant, so not loan-based. A grant is that you don't have to pay it back. You can contribute some of this money towards your own education. Uh, But what we've seen over time, the amount of the Pell Grant has actually not kept up with inflation. So um, there was a time that it covered a significant portion of the overall cost of college. You know, sometimes families still had to contribute a little bit more depending on when they attended and for how long, but that has decreased over time. So even those households, even those students who have been eligible for Pell Grants have still had to take on loan-based aid to cover the cost of college, and so we're in this weird world where we're like, oh, we're going to help the lowest, you know, people who have the least amount of resources uh, pay for their college, and yet they're finishing or leaving school with debt when they when a situation they essentially shouldn't have.
0: What's the average debt that Americans tend to have after they're graduating from undergrad, and what's the average debt that African Americans tend to have when they graduate from undergrad alone?
1: Yeah, this is such an important question because I think numbers get mixed in the averages, right? So we see, you know, on average, it's around $25,000, but we really have to disaggregate that, right? Disaggregate meaning break it down into different populations who are contained in this student debt borrower population. And when you start disaggregating the data by race, by institution type, by whether or not you have a degree, the numbers jump all over the place, right? Start jumping all over the place. And so the focus of my research and that because of what I've been doing over the last you know, 10 years has been on Black borrowers. And what we see with Black borrowers is that they tend to have higher average loans than comparable white borrowers. And that number has creeped up over time. You know, we were saying, oh, it was around 30s, and then it was moving up to 40s, and then it was moving up to 50s. Depending on the data set, you know, there are some that say that the average is around 50,000 that Black borrowers have. But what is pretty consistent across all the data sets is that the numbers are always consistently higher for Black borrowers. Mm-hmm
0: going to take a short break and we come back more on how student loan relief affects african-americans this is a word with jason johnson stay tuned
2: this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
0: This is Jason Johnson, host of A Word, Slate's podcast about race and politics and everything else. I want to take a moment to welcome our new listeners if you've discovered a word and like what you hear please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts and let us know what you think by writing us at a word at slate.com thank you You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about student loan relief with Professor Finiba Otto. She's the co-author of a "Dream Defaulted: The Student Loan Crisis Among Black Borrowers." Most students that I know who can't come back for a semester or have to drop out, they're short two or three grand. For those who don't understand this crisis, how do people end up with $10, 15, and twenty thousand dollars worth of debt? Is it they just keep deferring every single semester? Is it every other year? How does that debt actually accrue?
1: A lot of it accrues in the repayment phase, actually, after having completed the degree or having left college. I, I want to keep making that distinction between people who, there are people who have the degree and then also people who have left and have debt and no degree. And so people's principles kind of balloon up due to the amount of interest (laughs) that they have had on this debt. And so this gets into, you know, if you default or if you're delinquent for a couple months and you just can't make those payments, you know, the debt is continuing to accrue. And so a lot of what we have seen, a lot of what what is in that large numbers is happening um, in the repayment phase and the inability to keep up with payments. And so that's why it's really um, fascinating. That's why I give it that six to seven (laughs) number (laughs) that we saw in the current plan to uh, stop the interest accruing for people who are current on their payments. That was one of the provisions. And then also, I believe it's capping the amount of the monthly payment down to 5% rather than 10% of people's um, disposable income.
0: Explain to our audience a little bit about the sort of systematic and racial biases in the student loan process that lead to people having debt no matter what kind of choices they make. Because I think that's the thing that people really get caught up on, that you can make all the quote unquote right choices. You can try to pick a school that's within your means, quote unquote, and you still end up in debt, especially if you're African-American.
1: One is uh, the way we think about pursuing higher education, getting a college degree. It remains one of the strongest indicators, we say, of uh, social mobility, broadly defined um, within our society, kind of a pathway to securing financial security and stability for one's family. And so, you know, if you are going to take a gamble, if you're going to take a bet, (laughs) you know, uh, which a lot of parents are, you know, parents are doing for their children, it is to take on this debt in order to pursue that college degree. What we kind of saw and what we talk about a lot in the book is, how a lot of our borrowers are... you know, they wanted to pay back the debt. You know They do feel like they were trying and, and trying to do so. Um, but we also have, you know, we live in, in the United States, a historical legacy of labor market discrimination, credit market discrimination, um, and the racial wealth gap, right? That has um, meant that a lot of our households just do not have the same amount of access to economic resources that our white counterparts have access to. So even if a white family may not have enough to pay for their child's full education, they still may be able to System in the repayment process, right? So you know, giving them a little, um, we call them in vivo transfers to help assist them with economic grounding that a lot of black uh, households don't have, and oftentimes, especially when we're looking at higher education in particular, these tend to be the the one, right, the one child or the one person in the household who is who has made it, or you know, one of the few who has made it, and so the roles actually kind of shift, right? You're 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 now considered the one who should have had access to economic resources and people may be leaning on you for assistance and you're like how am I going to be helping my family if I have all this debt or I'm trying to help you know others with this debt so we do hear a lot of stories you know I, I've seen a lot of them in the last few days around people saying that loan money was helping to pay for tuition but it was also helping my family you know who who is back home and is struggling you know with the cost of daily living so absolutely
0: that's one of the other things repayment I think is also sort of key because the deal the Guarantee in America is, well, I'm going to take out these loans, right? And then I'm going to get this education because that's what you guys told me to do, right? I'm supposed to go get this nice education, and then I'm going to make enough money to pay this back in a reasonable amount of time. But if you look at African Americans who are oftentimes paid, you know, 75 cents on a dollar to what white people are paid, and that's that's a black man, right? We're not even talking about what black women might be paid. How does sort of wage discrimination play a role in some of the challenges that African-Americans have in paying back student debt.
1: We see that even Black young adults with like a college degree still face discrimination, as you pointed out, in the labor market. So they're more likely to be unemployed, more likely to be underemployed. Underemployed meaning holding a position that either doesn't require a college degree or is that you know, requires less than the education that is needed for that particular role. And this also translates into you know, lower wages or uh, a lower career trajectory over time. We also see that, with, especially with regard to student debt, Black borrowers struggle the most very early on in in the repayment process. So what I'm speaking to here is that is when their principles are probably the highest, you know. And so if you if you stumble or if you have difficulties in those very early ages, the penalties can be very high because the principles are so high at that at that moment. What it also speaks to is that how hard it is to kind of transition from the education world into the labor market. So those early career, early um, entry-level jobs um, are really important for setting the course, right, uh, for repayment. And that seems to be uh, a struggle for a lot of Black borrowers who are entering into the labor market after leaving college.
0: We're going to take a short break. and we come back, more about student loan debt and relief in the Black community. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about student loans and debt relief for African-Americans. Our guest is Professor Finiba Addo, co-author of A Dream Defaulted, The Student Loan Crisis Among Black Borrowers. So I'm going to share with you an interesting experience that I had. When President Biden made the announcement, the very next day, I had class. So I talked to my students at Morgan State University, and I laid that out to them. I was like, okay, do you guys generally believe and student debts being canceled and by and large the class was like yes we believe they should be canceled etc etc but when i told them about the specific program a lot of their reactions were well that's only ten thousand dollars well that doesn't mean anything that's not enough from the perspective that you have of knowing how much most people really do owe is this ten or twenty thousand dollars is it really going to make a dent
1: I think for some, it's gonna make a change, a difference. I also think that what has also made a difference is the last two years in which we've had the moratorium on the payments. So people not paying at all so being able to use that money to direct directed towards other bills or utilities or whatever are the forms of consumption that they, they have. Um, so as someone who has studied black borrowers, the $10,000, it may not be enough <laughs> because we have such higher averages. As we know, what your paycheck says you earn may not translate to feeling financially secure and financially stable, especially if you don't have the wealth to back it up.
0: One of the other questions that you sort of hear from some progressives in this country, you know, commentators, even some of my students would say, well, wait a minute. The United States just sent $750 million to help fight the Russians in Ukraine. The U.S. can always find money in the couch for other things. Why are there so many limitations and restrictions on this? And so, you know, from a policy perspective, are there legal or constitutional restrictions that keep the administration from being more assertive on these issues? I mean, it doesn't seem like they can write a blank check to this. So are there like limitations on what they can do, at least on this particular point?
1: I, I mean, I think your students are, are right in, in kind of comparing what is going on when, you know, when we do all this military spending and then we turn to education and we see it being rolled back. And I think it is an indication of you know, how we value um, or rank These different areas within our society—it's a clear indication of that. Like you know, we need to be doing a better job of advertising how much we contribute to you know society. What are the benefits that higher education, in particular, has brought with regard to civic engagement and you know healthcare and just you know the amount of research and development that happens on our campuses and how our students go out and contribute to society. And you know, there's just so many ways that you can brand this. I'm not not into marketing, but thinking about you know, um, you know, why is it that we that there is more of a negative stigma uh, with regards, and, and why are those people allowed to kind of drive the narrative around higher education rather than um, what you know what we know is the good stuff that we're producing <laughs> at, at our respective places?
0: A few months ago on this podcast, we spoke with a representative of the Debt Collective, which is a grassroots organization that essentially just pays off student and other kinds of debt. Can private or like nonprofit efforts? really be a significant part of solving this debt crisis? Like, is that a realistic model or does this have to be addressed by the federal government in order for us to sort of relieve this burden to people?
1: So I'll say that because it was a policy that led to this current crisis that we're in, I am really much an advocate of a policy-driven solution. I think it's great that there's people willing to step up, like we saw at the Morehouse example as well with the billionaire um, Robert Smith, who absolved the student loan debts of that graduating class, I think, in 2019. You know, we see these kind of piecemeal efforts that kind of raised awareness about the crisis and that the, that this was something serious that needed to be taken care of. But I am more so in support of policy-driven efforts, but I also am, am a very odd and amazing. And I think we needed the Debt Collective and they've done so much to get us to this point um, because I think without the grassroots efforts, without the social movements efforts, it wouldn't have gotten this far.
0: So I always like to end on something nominally positive or optimistic. So if there's African-American parents listening to the podcast right now, and they're looking at the prospect of taking out student loans, what are two or three key things that you think they should pay attention to When they're looking at the process, whether they're looking at federal loans, whether they're looking at private loans. What are two things that they should definitely have on their minds?
1: You know, a lot of it is not in the hands, unfortunately, of the household and the individual. It's more so in the hands of the institutions. So I would say, look at, you know, the breadth of the institutions that your child, that you want to send your child to. There are some universities and colleges that are getting it right, you know, that are, have uh, offered quite generous programs that are not loan based, that are grant based. Um, so I would say, you know, diversify. You don't all have to go to certain sets of schools, but that's one thing that I, w- I would say. Um, and then get in and get out as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> until we until we can really get to a place where this where we where we have like tuition free college and all these other things is you know like reduce the amount of time spent borrowing and the amount borrowed and really try to finish because again one of the strongest predictors the people that struggle the most are the people with debt and no degree.
0: Penaba Addo is an associate professor of public policy at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's also the co author of A Dream Defaulted The Student Loan Crisis Among Black Borrowers. Thank you so much for joining us on A Word.
1: Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure.
0: And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Christy Taiwo Macanjula. Ben Richmond is Slate's senior director of operations for podcasts. Alicia Montgomery is the vice president of audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for Word.